Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here this week with co-host Benji Davis. How are you, Benji? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Excellent. So uh, we're going to talk about developing attitudes towards young Jews towards Israel this week with a very important guest, Benji. Would you please introduce our guest? Yes, so I have the pleasure and honor of introducing a guest who I know from the, my old country, the shtetl, that is uh, Pico Robertson area of Los Angeles. This is Rabbi Bradley Shavit Artson, who I call Rabbi Artson, who's the dean of the Ziegler School at the American Jewish University, although when I was growing up, it was called the University of Judaism, and I feel very fondly of still calling it the UJ, but I won't do that, I got, although I just did, and the vice president of the AJU and the dean of the Masorti Rabbinical School um, out in Berlin, uh, which is very cool. And we invited Rabbi Artsen onto the podcast uh, after we read an open letter he wrote to some of his students that had um, put together a piece in response to the recent war between Israel and Hamas um, and how it affected them as American Jews. And so we wanted to bring in Rabbi Artsen um, to help us understand the, the discourse that's happening um, with emerging liberal American Jewish leadership uh, with regards to um, Israel and with regards to then how they're leading communities with Israel as a central pillar um, of, of Jewish life. So, Rabbi Artson, welcome, welcome to the pod. Welcome. Thank it's you really so much. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Benji. I'm happy to be with you. Well, can you... Uh just to sort of start off right in the middle of it, could you sort of uh, give a, a, a summary of the letter that a lot of the students signed and your... Yes. Thanks. So there was an article in the forward that announced that about 100 rabbinical and cantorial students were signing this letter of protest. Um, and the content of the letter was one that decried the occupation, that um, talked about the suffering of innocent Palestinian civilians and children, the high death rate, um, and called upon Israel and the United States to put an end to the disproportionate violence. And um, it was signed by two students from the Ziegler Rabbinical School, um, more students from Hebrew College, Reconstructionist Rabbinical College, Jewish Theological Seminary, uh, and Hebrew Union College, which is the Reform Seminary. Um, but I felt an obligation, because they had written it publicly as rabbinical students, to make a contextualizing statement in public back. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a letter that I sent out to the students and then sent it to the forward as well, and the forward published it, and it took on a life of its own. Hmm. Uh, and, and basically what I said in the letter is that I don't disagree with much of what my students had signed on, except for what was left out mm -hmm. and the one-sidedness of it, which was, to me, the utter lack of an expression of support of identity with what Israelis were going through with a recognition of the 4,000 missiles that Hamas had sent uh, aimed indiscriminately at Israeli civilians uh, with the way that um, Hamas is 
um, a despotism and a bloody dictatorship that is holding Gaza in prison, um, and that there has to be a way to stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Israel, even if we are critical of some of the policies of the occupation and some of the choices that Israel's then government was making. Um, and, and I met with each of the students mm-hmm. who signed from Ziegler, and we had a very good conversation about that, and then it took on a life of its own. So that letter that I wrote um, was created an AP interview, which wow. was then syndicated in 300 publications mm-hmm. around the world um, and uh, was read by over a million people. Um, and I continue to get calls and interviews about my letter. Um, I also got an enormous response from rabbis and civilians in Israel and around the United States. The most heartening response that I got was from my students, um, many of whom felt that the fact that that letter had gone out as if it was from rabbinical students somehow implicated all rabbinical students, and they felt that my letter was really defending them from a position they had chosen not to take. Wow. So can you, so in, in that life of its own, was there anything, were there any responses that uh, surprised you? Was, was, was there anything that was challenging to your position? Because from our perspective as readers, we, it really seemed to us both, uh, it, it just seemed like such an educator's uh, I, I, you know, Benji knows you from before. I don't, but it, but it, as soon as I read it, I sent to you know Benji and a couple of our friends. I'm like, wow, this is an educator. You're both embracing and validating your students and and praising them, but also giving them guidance and sort of shaping it. Was that challenged by by anyone in any way? Thank you. So obviously, look, when you take a stand on a contentious public issue, not everybody is going to construe it in the best possible light. I was pleased by the fact that the vast preponderance of responses, public and private, were very supportive and noticed that. Um, The two responses, the two kinds of responses that were not like that, there were a handful, literally five people who excoriated me, um, some publicly, two privately, Hmm. for having violated my rabbi relationship with my students by going public. Hmm. And... There were two colleagues who did it in a menschy way, meaning they wrote to me and they expressed it in civil tones, mm-hmm. but nonetheless didn't agree with my decision. That's their right to do, and I commend them for the way they did it. There were three colleagues who I thought crossed every possible line uh, in the kind of rhetoric and verbiage they used publicly without ever once addressing me. Um, what do you mean by publicly? Within a meaning, a they put things on Twitter oh, or see. on Facebook. Well, that seems strange. Than, if they're criticizing you for going public with your criticism, to go public with yes. their criticism seems. I, I it it seemed to me it undermined their own position yeah. and um and and also that I I don't believe that what they were upset with me about was for the mode in which I mm. disagreed with people, the medium that I used. I think they didn't like my position. Uh. One person said I should have been holding up the prophetic ethics of my students rather than silencing them. But I never silenced them. I, I, to the contrary, I encourage mm-hmm. them to say what they have to say. But I do need them to think about how it's heard and the larger context for it. But most people, including people who are progressive, 
and hold positions of responsibility throughout the Jewish world, uh, most of them were able to write to me and say, we really thought what you said needed to be public. We admired the tone with which you obviously love and respect mm-hmm. your students. And I think the students themselves were able to see that, which ultimately is the most important thing. Well, uh, you know, I so, don't want to ask about those conversations, but um, but why, why do you think the opening and, – and again, I realize that most of these people on this letter were not your students. Why do you think it lacked that context? That I, I, I would I, – it surprised me. So, I mean, you're saying context, Mike. You're saying the the context of the narrative of Israel and Zionism, yeah. or just the human story of Israelis I, on the other side of this I, war. I, I, I've been feeling it. You know, the, I, I I had this argument actually with Peter Barnard a few years ago when he started in the in 2014, actually, where he started writing that way, and I said, you know, I'm not I'm not following you anymore because you're only. And I I tried to be constructive, but I said, you know, I'm I'm, I'm leaving you on social media, not because I disagree with you. I've always pretty much disagreed with you, but because it's it's painful to me that when I'm under rocket fire, you have nothing nice to you have nothing comforting to say. Um, So let me let me try to complicate this if I could. Great. Okay. Um, Because it turns out my position seems to be the one that pisses off everybody. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I put That's a, good a tweet sign. out. Is no, it? No, no. I put a tweet out that said, Israel and Israelis aren't going away. Palestine and Palestinians aren't going away. There's no military solution. We can only move forward together. I would only say duh to that. I don't really know. Well, yeah. you're the only one. I will tell you, I was called a capo. I was called a self-hating Jew. And I was called a murderer of Palestinian babies. Wow. wow. You know. So, so the challenge here is... Am I not even thinking that's American, what most Israelis and Palestinians more or less think? I think the ones who are dominating the public discourse well, have, have weaponized the conversation so that you can't raise it. So here's the challenge. Over Mike. where you are. Uh, and where you are. Mm-hmm. And where you are. Okay. Look, here's the thing. Um, Whatever view you express in public, someone will tell you publicly, you don't get Zionism, you don't understand, and then they'll either call you self-hating or a fascist, one or the other, Mm -hmm. right? Nobody says, oh, it's great that you as a citizen of Israel disagree with me, let's talk about this. (laughs) Nobody says that. So, and here too, that's extended. So... So there's a lot of people who have made, I think, really poor choices that have put us into this box, which I would like us to try to get out of. Mm. One, I do think that Netanyahu and his administration weaponized support of Israel, Mm -hmm. which Trump and the Republicans picked up on and ran with, Mm -hmm. so that it went from being a bipartisan consensus issue to now being a right-wing wedge. And then everyone is surprised that the far left of the Democratic Party is starting to differ from that policy, but it was weaponized. It was turned into a Republican talking point. Um, So I don't think the Israeli right gets to be surprised by that. Two, it has been the case in the past that during a crisis, people are told we can't talk about the occupation now because it's a crisis. And then when it's not a crisis, we're told, why are you raising that? It's fine. Mm -hmm. 
So it seems never to be an appropriate time to ask questions that are more nuanced than do we blame Israel alone for the occupation. And here, too, I have a very unpopular position. I think the occupation is a disaster. Mm -hmm. I think it's a moral disaster. I think it's a political disaster. I think Israel is in part to blame, but by far not alone. I blame Hezbollah, and I blame Hamas, and I blame Jordan and Saudi Arabia and Lebanon and the Palestinian Liberation Organization. I mean, Fatah, there's a whole lot of people who are in the business of perpetuating this terrible occupation. And the people who suffer are Israeli and Palestinian moderates who get uh, captive of the, their own extremists. And there's a kind of weird coalition of the extreme right on the Israeli and the Palestinian side in which they need each other to perpetuate their own policies and their own power. But the challenge that my students then face is, when is the right time to raise these concerns? When, when and, and, and here's the other catch. Israelis are very frequent in telling American Jews that we Jews owe you our loyalty. But they're unwilling to then let us offer viewpoints and opinions. I've not heard of a single American Jew who says we should vote in Israeli elections. That is certainly true. We don't serve in the Israeli military. But if we are, in fact, part of the Israeli family, we just had your president come to the United States and say he views himself as our president, too, meaning of fifth, Jews here. Fifth tribe. Correct. Well, if that's true... Mm-hmm then there has to be some place where we get to express real concerns and not have Israelis patronizingly tell us why the only reason we think that is because we're comfortable in Bel Air. Mm -hmm. So partly I think the letter was a scream of anger because many people see Israel pursuing policies in the short term. The student's letter, not your letter. Right. Yeah. The student's letter, I think part of the one-sidedness of it, which I condemn, but part of the one-sidedness of it is they see Israel continuing to occupy badly. And they continue to see nobody addressing those issues. Issues that are not issues of ultimate outcome or is there a partner or any of those things, but do we enforce Israeli law fairly? Do we, for example, on a daily basis, I see videos of settler thugs burning Palestinian harvests, right? And I never hear of a prosecution. I never hear of jail sentences. I saw videos of the rounding up of Palestinians at Damascus Gate with nobody stepping in to stop any beatings and no further prosecutions or police disciplines. And that kind of dumb occupying, which is separate from how do we resolve the occupation, It's just what kind of an occupation are we enforcing? Is it one that follows the laws that Israel itself has already established, or do we just keep turning a blind eye in a one-sided way? That's going to result in one-sided protest. So while I share the sense that American Jewish leaders have to take responsibility and have to see the bigger picture, I would be amiss if I didn't point out that Israel makes it harder to do that. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't think anything you're saying is different than things that I've heard Israelis say. So I, I don't think there are any political opinions or insights that you're expressing that I couldn't hear, you know, having a schmooze, at, you know, sitting, you know, over coffee with a Sabra. So I, 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 Correct. I, I, that is true. And let me just say one other thing. Mike. Go ahead. I'm very leery about saying that publicly. Why is that? Because I'm aware. Well, because I'm aware that if Rabbi Artson says something critical of an Israeli policy, that somebody out there will pick it up and say, see, even Rabbi Artson thinks that Israel is a criminal, racist, apartheid state, and it has no legitimacy. And so I'm very careful with whom I share my criticisms and in what context, because I'm not willing to have it be used for the destruction of Israel. Well, right. I imagine yeah. that you have a similar question when it comes to American politics as well, as a rabbi. There is, it is, it is. Nobody, no, I mean, the caution as an American rabbi is that I represent a broad coalition right. of people. And so I need to be sure to speak in such a way that I include them. Yeah. But the difference is nobody says because we, well, I mean, no, nobody I need to worry about says because I don't like an, an American policy. America has no legitimacy and we should get rid of it. Nobody's calling for the wiping out of America. Some anarchists, you know. Correct. But nobody I need to worry about. They should be more afraid of me than I should be of them. Yeah. But I I think the difference in the um, conversation with regards to Israel, I think, has a lot to do with the framing of, um, you know, American Judaism in terms of a, you know, a liberal religious you know way of life and if the modern israeli state and the occupation as you describe it doesn't represent the values that are embodiment of the liberal religious way of life of being jewish in the united states then why care for it at all you can chuck it away as in if it doesn't represent that mirror image of yourself uh, i see why it could be problematic and i wonder if there was that more sense of, of peoplehood and feeling a part of a nation or a civilization where, yes, Ruby Rublin is only the president of the state of Israel and its citizens, but there is a, a Jewish people with a, with a homeland. And even though we're citizens, we made Aliyah and Rabbi Arts and you're not an Israeli citizen, we are all the part of the, the part of the, the people of Israel that has a nation state of its own. Um, and I'm wondering, um, if that under if people embrace that idea more that you know it's not israel doesn't isn't there to service judaism or it doesn't exist because of judaism or because of religion or because of god but rather it exists as a, a nation state of one of the many peoples on earth uh and, and they're so part of that story out, benji let me point out what a whopper it is you just said mm-hmm. mm, a whopper because that's actually one of the divides between biblical religion and rabbinic religion. Right? In biblical religion, the religion is at the service of the land. But for the rabbis, it's the opposite. The, the value of the land is you do more mitzvahs there. Right. Right? And so one of the revolutions of Zionism that people don't much talk about is that Zionism wasn't meant to perpetuate Judaism. It was largely meant to replace it. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. It was a re- it was absolutely a revolution in changing the theology. I would say. Well, I but I think it was. Like, I think it was in the. Se- I, I I think the founders and the speakers uh, tend to write in terms of renaissance rather than revolution. They think they're trying to but big they back. Don't mean rena- they don't mean renaissance of rabbinic Judaism. They no, they mean they renaissance, renaissance of biblical Judaism. Judaism. They mean of national yeah, identity. No, that different. They mean national identity. Sure. They don't mean biblical Judaism. Yeah. Well, that's what a national. Right. That's that's what a Renaissance so, is. A Renaissance. Nobody in the Renaissance wanted to go back to sacrificing to Zeus. They wanted to create a modern version. Uh, a Renaissance yeah. is a rebirth with a new I, modern. I understand, but if if indeed, I mean, look. So so part of the challenge is we're talking about Zionism and Israel as if it's a thing, but it's not a thing. It's many different things to many different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And and so I have my Zionism. Each of you have your Zionisms. We have a lot of, in the Venn diagram of Zionisms, there may be a lot of overlap. And then there are going to be some things that you're going to look at and say, wait a minute, that's just you, Brad. That's your crazy stuff. And I'm going to say, no, Benji, that's stuff you always thought. That has nothing to do with my Zionism. Like, there, there are places where they're not. So it's not like it's a thing to hold up and then say yours is or isn't Zionism. Well, except that the state of Israel of does have a declaration of independence. So in other words, the state of Israel has at least some form of Zionism that it says is its raison d'etre and, and is its own identity. I, I, again, I, Mike, I need to go ahead. dissent from that. I, I love that Declaration of Independence. I think it's one of Israel's most publicly ignored documents. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and you know as well as I do, it has no legal status. Correct. Correct. So It should. Um, so No, but as an identity, so it identifies its position on Zionism, and it's the last time all Zionists got together and signed something that say, you know, this is something I, we can all agree I, on. I, I understand, but it's not actionable. So, so yes, I love that Declaration of Independence. I, I think it's a beautiful statement. And, and here I want to affirm, I, I do feel the pull of peoplehood. And I'll just add one other layer to it, which is Zionism is late to the party in the sense that Ahavatzion well predates Zionism and that a love of the land and a love of the terrain and a love of the history that took place in that place, that makes it home for Jews, whether they self-consciously identify as Zionist or not. I think the Zionist question, and what makes me still say I'm a Zionist, is a more narrow question, which is, does the existence of Jewish national self-determination, is that necessary for Jewish survival? And I think the answer is yes. I think, and I say that as someone who loves America and feels fully at home in America, um, and, and I see America as my country in every possible way, but I do believe there is a crucial role for political Zionism in the world. Hmm. But I want to I say that my love of the land of Israel, my love of the people of Israel, is deeper than and informs my Zionism, but it doesn't come out of my Zionism. Well, I, I, I definitely may use very different terminology with you, than you with these things. That's, I, 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 I think that Zionism is an expression of Ahavatzion, not a latecomer to that idea. But um, for sure. Yeah. But uh, but to, to go back to Benji's issue, is it possible that many uh, young Jews? experience their Judaism as a religion, in which case the state of Israel, 
doesn't really offer them anything other than and 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 I don't want to get into the typical Jewish conversation of does the state of Israel behave better than other nation states? Does it behave worse than other nation states? It behaves like a nation state, whether better or worse. And for a lot of yes. young religious Jews who see religion as something that's about being idealistic and embracing values, states don't behave that way. And so for them, the state of Israel actually is something negative. And and, and I fear that that may be motivating some of the letter writers. Mike, I I guess I want to go further than that. I I think the challenge as I see it is that a lot of um, American Jewish distancing from Israel doesn't come from a religious place. No. Meaning it comes from a sociological, political worldview in which peoplehood isn't that central to them. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's common with Americans across the board. You know, fourth generation Scandinavians, fourth generation French and Germans. What's striking about Jewish identity in America is how much peoplehood continues to matter despite the normal patterns of immigrant groups, right? The intermarriage rate for Japanese Americans is close to 90%, right? So that what's striking about the Jewish intermarriage rate in America is not how high it is, it's how low it is compared to others who've been here as long. But I think, so it's not that their Judaism distances them from, from Israel, you know, Reform Judaism is also Zionist. Mm-hmm. It, it's that their personal identity isn't religious at all. Well, but to, right? to Benji's the point... This growing group in your life, it's none of the above. To Benji's point, it, it's interesting that you, you're comparing the Jewish-American experience to Scandinavian, Italian, and Japanese, and not to Christian, Muslim, or Hindu. In other words, there is a peoplehood element here. But I wasn't talking about American Jews in general. I was talking about 100 rabbinic and cantorial students who do see the religion as very important to them and made a political statement about a state uh, which didn't in any way uh, sympathize or, 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 or articulate a sense of connectedness right. with that state. So, so, I, so I, I, I didn't see that as a typical American Jewish distant, you know. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. So there I think the issue is the language by which dissent is offered in America, right? When, when people take to the streets to protest systemic racism, they don't start with a list of the things they love about this country. Mm-hmm. Nobody starts that protest with, we're grateful to be able to be on the streets. We're grateful for the First Amendment that gives us the right to speak out. They just jump right in with the list of grievances. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the students did with that letter. Mm -hmm. They just jumped right in. And and here the backhanded compliment is the acuteness of their feelings about Israel are because of how deeply they do feel identified with it. They don't write a letter about North Korea. Because who expects anything from North Korea? And what does that have to do with me? Mm -hmm. But the rabbinical students, I know the people who signed this letter, they are very tied to Israel and to Israelis. Um, And I think that increased their pain. And here, I guess, I want to resist turning this into an American Jews versus an Israeli Jews conversation, because I think that does a disservice on both sides. Mm -hmm. And it stops us from being able to move forward also. 
mm-hmm. right? Israelis should also be concerned about the ethics and efficacy of their own policies, right? And raising those concerns and, and and having an argument about them. Well, clearly, we've had five elections mm-hmm. around some of those issues, mm-hmm. um, right? But but that's I think this is one of the ways that American Jews think they can participate mm-hmm. is by, I mean, look, it, it clearly got a lot of attention mm-hmm. in Israel and here. That letter, in a sense of being social action, was very effective. It just wasn't effective, I think, in communicating the message in a way that leads to a real conversation. Uh, by the way, I think that's at the root of all of this. In other words, I, I, I think that part of living in a social media world, whether it's you're saying Israelis telling Americans they can't talk or Israel or, you know, these, stu- the, these students feeling frustrated that they're not allowed to be in discourse. I think we, we've we've gotten used to this sort of social media, quote unquote, conversation, which isn't at all a conversation. It's people stating opinions past each other. And, and when we actually right. get into conversations, I think they're usually productive. And I think that there, that, that's why I think, and I, and I, what I appreciated about your letter was it was sort of arguing, even when we operate in this sort of internet connected world, we should talk as if we're talking to the people yeah. themselves. That's more productive. Exactly. And I think you're right. That is something that our age on every issue misses we we vilify the people with whom we disagree mm-hmm. and then we mostly retreat to the echo chambers of those who think the same things we do already mm-hmm. which means we don't have the chance to learn we don't get to say why would a reasonable person make a different choice and what is it i'm not thinking about and i may not like their solution but i need to have some solution to the problem that they're raising mm-hmm. right it may not be theirs but but and, and i don't think I think, you know, we certainly try, all of my students, all of the Ziegler students, spend their third year in Israel. Mm-hmm. And in addition to learning the classical things that rabbinical students learn, we have them do extensive seminars on life in Israel, Zionist thought in its diversity, different populations that are living in the land, mm-hmm. um, traveling to different places. We encourage them to have relationships where they come for several Shabbatot to the same conservative Kehillah outside of Jerusalem um, so that they can hang out and have their Israel, mm-hmm. right? And have those conversations, which can't be had theoretically and can't be had by reading a blog. Mm-mm. Or a tweet, <laughs> even less than a blog. Or a tweet. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing. And that's, that, that's why I guess I was taken aback. And I guess that what, what I sort of fear... Is 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 what I what I was describing earlier of this sense of just like, and and I hate to say it, and, I, and again I, I don't want to speak in general terms, but I, when you were saying that most uh, you know so many American Jews just don't feel as involved in peoplehood, so yeah I get that. But when people who are deeply involved in their Judaism, what you're saying is very heartening to me. In other words, they may have ex- sort of you're saying that you you're. I, I guess you agree with you that your letter accurately described that these students were coming from a bigger, broader place and their wording was um, uh, an isolation of an aspect of what they feel. But you feel that those letter writers yes. really did have a broader. Oh, for sure. Look, good. I mean, there may be some students who have a different perspective, yeah. but I can speak to the, the to mine. Mm-hmm. You know, each one of those has a deep, deep love of Israel a deep connection. Many of them have intimate family Mm -hmm. 
there, and they are outraged by the occupation and the way it's being conducted and by Israeli choices in that occupation. And, and that's what the letter was a scream about. I don't think it was effective. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they did themselves a favor in conveying the fullness of all of what they feel, which would have then opened Israelis to a real engagement mm-hmm. with what they were thinking. Um, so part of it is how do we teach future leaders how to converse in a way that opens conversation rather than shuts it down? Yeah, well, as you know, Sabras uh, and Israelis in general are very good at a calm, uh, well-measured conversation. That's <laughs> yes, I, I, I married into an Israeli family, so I know firsthand exactly <laughs> what that is like. No, but that's, I mean, that's, that's also a rich Jewish tradition of, even though we're passionate and sometimes, uh, you know, it, it can, it can even seem and, and come from a place of certain anger and frustration. But ultimately that's, even that's also an expression of love, which is, I, I, I think right. that's and, why what you're saying is compelling the, the, to me. Thank you. And, and the part that I think we all need to work on, uh, and, and I think this is across the board, the two things that we've created that are toxic is, one, no matter what your feelings about Israeli-Palestine politics, mm-hmm. you feel beaten up and marginalized. Mm-hmm. Like, across the spectrum. It's amazing. I, I don't think I have a rabbinical student right, left, or center who doesn't feel like nobody gets them, they're all picked upon, they're caricatured, uh, you We're know, all defensive. and they're the minority. Yeah. We're all defensive. And that's because one thing our tradition isn't so good at is how do you have machlokot l'shem shamayim and then have lunch with the person, right? And and, and we've gotten to the point, we're good at the argument. We're not good at maintaining, and, and that's been corroded in Western culture in general now. It used to be Democrats and Republicans yeah, maintain friendships and yeah. social and, well, very recent, meaning Newt Gingrich, so, yeah, you know, 90s. 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. But, yes. Well, but, when you but say our tradition, you're talking about a 3,000-year tradition. 1990s is a big deal. There were, there were plenty. Yes, Mike. <laughs> but, but there are plenty of examples in the Kamara of rabbis who didn't demonstrate, you know, that they argued vociferously and then they hung out with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's hard to do. And we need to work harder. We need to redouble our efforts to continue to be brothers and sisters and cousins together. Well, I thought one of the best, I mean, there's, there's obviously endless examples of rabbinic uh, articulation of that ideal. But to me, one of the most powerful was Nahum Sarna, who was, uh, who was a biblical commentator, pointed out that uh, we may be the only religion that prints our, our, our holiest book surrounded by with people arguing about what it means, and that's how we engage yeah. the book. So, yeah, it's 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 both a democratic and Jewish value that I, I would say is existentially necessary. It's not just a high lofty value. Right. It's so, how we so let's, it's how we let's live. assert here. Let's assert here that it it is the death of a democracy. Mm-hmm. If civilians and their friends can't debate heatedly and retain respect for each other and learn from each other, and it is an abdication of Jewish culture at its best, Mm -hmm. if we're going to flatten into a single narrative voice, right? That's not our tradition. tradition. I think that's being really expressed right now, though, in Israeli politics today with the current coalition that was built. On the one hand, the lack of respect to Naftali Bennett in his inaugural speech, 
um, was depressing and disgusting. Or uh, members of the, the opposition other, calling the Speaker for, of the Knesset a little girl. I, I don't. I can't even describe the pain that I feel watching that on the, earlier. I think it was today or yesterday. I, it's on the oh. other hand, though the the coalition with the the settler right and the centrist bourgeois and the le- and the left Zionists and the Islamic fundamentalists is an expression of the multiple tribes, Jewish and non-Jewish. You know, being able to the, the it's a pluralistic tent of Israeliness. And, you know, soon the Haredim could join. Then you literally have the four tribes of Israel sitting around the uh, the government table. And the question that I think concerns us is, well, then the, the Jewish voice that is not citizens that lives outside of Israel, how can that be a part of the tent, even if you don't have the practical vote, but that can also be respected? And that's mm-hmm. where I think and that's productive. where the challenge is. And it's structurally um, our governing system may, even though we were in a two and a half year rut, and maybe we're out of it, maybe we're not. We don't know yet. Hopefully, uh, but how can the structure encourage that voice to be heard in a way that the structure encouraged a settler supporting prime minister with an Islamic fundamentalist as the key to keeping him prime minister? Um, yeah. So that is the key, and I I share. Um, look, I I love the new government. Um, in part for its improbability, you know. I mean, the the idea that such incompatible people are sitting around the table um, is incredibly risky. And, you know, I hope that they have sufficient discipline to focus on incremental improvements that are within their consensus. Mm-hmm. If they can, that will make a big enough. I mean, that would be a huge change. I love the fact that there's an Arab party sitting in on these conversations. I think that could make for doable changing of the vector in a way that would be so, so, so important. And then I think the challenge is going to be, as Mike indicated, the way social media works, it magnifies the most repugnant, intolerant voices. Um, And so we're going to have to learn to not look beneath the line. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to look how we can keep our head up and speak to each other and and not default into, well, the reason you think that stupid thing is because you are a Mm -hmm. fill in the blank. But let me tell you why I don't agree with that. And then you can have a kind, then we'll respond substantively back and forth. And we may even find that we sometimes persuade each other for parts of it. And we share information we didn't know. And we, but, but, but how we learn to keep the conversation above the mud feeders, that's going to be the key act for this government and for all of us as we move forward. Boy, our listeners couldn't hear my head nodding vigorously during that. I mean, I mean that's so true. And and when you're when you're when you're discussing something with somebody, to listen to them and what they're saying and not pigeonhole them, as that that's right. where our defensiveness comes from. That we just feel somebody, gotcha. whoever we're talking to, and 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 we try not to do that to other people. We have to trust that the person we're talking to isn't going to do that to us also, so that we don't have to feel so defensive, and we have to return. That. And then maybe what we do is is to not assume mind readers. Yep. You know, so that if you and I are talking and I slip into an assumption, you can say, that's actually not true about me. Here's here. Let me tell you that a part of me and I can do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because it's it's inevitable that I'm going to say sure. something and you're going to think, oh, that's a Californian, and, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you how it's more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it will be, but but sometimes the fact that it's coming from a place of a Californian or an Israeli yeah. or an Ola or whatever that doesn't delegitimate it either. And it's it just locates it. And it's not offensive or insulting to say, well, let me let Correct. me check you on that, and I'll give you my perspective, and well, you can give me yours. That's just conversation. It's the whole point of what we just talked yeah. about ten minutes ago that there's this holy text in the middle middle of a page and then all these dudes commenting on it and disagreeing on the essence of its meeting that is a process that is ongoing not just from our tradition but it, you know it's today the idea of pluralism <laughs> should be part of our part, part public of, discourse part of what that means though and and here again i i want to emphasize i think that to some degree the response to the students should have been one of an of an educator's response, which is what I tried to do, rather than, for example, I've heard of some of those signators who've lost employment because Ooh. of it. Yeah. Right? And that's that, the wrong response. That's going to bake people in their rejectionism and in their being well, victimized. Just cancel so, culture leading to more cancel culture. Well, and, whatever, and it's a cancel culture is, on the right in this case, but that's right. So, so if we can have more of these conversations and do it in a spirit of of affection and mutual support without necessarily agreement. That, I think, is going to be essential for the future of a meaningful Jewish identity and a meaningful identity that's bigger than are you an Israeli Jew, are you an American Jew, are you a European Jew, are you a little of all of those things. Mm -hmm. We're less about the identity politics of it but rather we all share an identity and engage it and embrace it in a different way you know we we started as multiple tribes and i like that the rivlin's idea of the whatever the tribes are there's four tribes there's eight tribes there's five tribes but no just the idea of um one people with multiple tribes i know we need i know we need to wrap up soon but but um even better than president rivlin i'm going to go back a little more traditional the zohar says Mm -hmm medieval piece of Kabbalistic work that everybody is made primarily from one of the spherot. You know, God has all of these points of entry in the world. So you could be primarily a Chesed Jew or a Dean Jew or a Netzach or a Hod, right? Yep. But every single one of the spherot contains all the spherot. So just because you're a Chesed Jew doesn't mean you don't also have Dean components, mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think if we can realize that about each other, that there's no one way to do Jewish, there's no one way to do Zion, and that we all of us are seeking justice and compassion in the light of our best understandings, then we can be allies even when we don't agree. Right. That's mm. beautiful. Thank you. It's, nice. it's a nice little Torah for us to end the pod. Well, but but it's also right. it's also really... It's really. I, I know. I said it before. Uh, before we we signed on to start recording, I said this is really important for us because this is the challenge that we face. And and uh, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll speak for myself, Benji, but that's very helpful uh, to me as an educator in connecting to students to to redouble on that and 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 that what we do is really continue that conversation. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your thought and your uh, and your care, not only in what you're passionate about, but also in how you express it, which uh, I also find inspirational. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Anytime. Thanks so much. And thanks, Benji. 
Thank you for having me. I don't know if you're having me or I'm having myself, but it's a yeah. Well, you're a co-host, so I guess I guess uh, we're, we're both. I'm a, what's it called? You know, a temporary um, interim co-host. Interim co-host. Well, we have a the, the co-host chair is a yeah. Uh, yeah fair enough. I'm sitting yeah. in it right now. Yeah. So we don't have to log off, but it is the end of the podcast. So I'm stopping the recording. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.